I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Ireland's Birth Stories, a podcast created for women to share their experiences with pregnancy and birth. My name is Cora Gernon and I've created this space to enable women to share their experiences from start to finish without feeling shy about the detail. Firstly, I just want to say a quick thank you to my new patrons. Hello and thank you for your support. And secondly, to those of you who have bought me coffees during the week. Thank you so much. It's really, it's really nice just when someone buys you coffee. So thank you. This week I'm sharing a really special episode. So I spoke to Brana the other day. We broke it up over two days. The two of us got distracted by our little ladies. So we spoke about the birth of her little girl Evie. And this interview wasn't planned in line with uh, to be released specifically on March the 21st. Um, we just, Brana happened to send me a message because I'm quite forgetful with getting back to emails and I was like gosh this has happened for a reason I'm supposed to speak to Bran and get this episode out on Monday so that's exactly what we did um so we spoke about Evie's birth so they received the diagnosis that Evie had Down syndrome and I really I knew when I read Brana's blog post that I would enjoy listening to her speak and I did she just speaks so well she's so articulate and she just puts a really has a really nice way with words so she was induced with Evie and she then had to have an emergency c-section as her heart rate was dropping so that was the best option at the time we then chat about um, Evie's stay in NICU. So she was in there for 10 days and then she was also diagnosed with transient leukaemia. So she did get home and she speaks about those first early weeks at home. Then Brana speaks about her missed miscarriage at 10 weeks. And as I said, I think she speaks really well and she did the exact same with this part of her story. And there's a really nice piece at the end where they decide to bury some of the tissue that she passed um, when she was mis- miscarrying her little baby who they named Bear and they buried it with a cherry tree and some rose petals which I will let her um, tell you where those rose petals came from but I think it's a really nice part of her story. So enjoy this week's episode Monday 21st of March World Down Syndrome Day a day to celebrate and bring awareness to 
Down syndrome. And I will also tag Little Kriya's episode that I shared last year. So enjoy and thank you, Brana, for sharing your story. I will link everything in the show notes. So Brana's Instagram page and also her her blog, which is really nice to read. So enjoy. And next week I will share my 100th episode. Chat to you soon. Brana, you are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. If you want to just begin by giving us a little introduction to you and your lovely family. Yeah, of course. Um, so it, it's me and Ross here and Evie. Um, me and Ross have actually only been together for like two and a half years, but you know when you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, that just kind of happened. Um, we had briefly met before um, through a mutual friend. And when we met again, we were just like, this is it. I want babies. You want babies. <laughs> Let's do it. So, um, so yeah, there's the three of us here. And obviously Evie um, was born last July. And we just bought our house in November as well. So we're we're nicely set up now, proper adults, <laughs> which is bizarre. So yeah, we're we're living in Sligo. Um I'm from Meacham and I had a very kind of hippie, kind of free kind of childhood. And um, my mom and a lot of her friends came over from Scotland. Um they all like traveled over in buses and caravans oh, and all sorts of vehicles. Yeah. So they were like the new age travelers um, that everyone was talking about like 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, my, my mom actually had a free birth with me, which I find fascinating and terrifying. <laughs> um, she did end up in hospital afterwards with problems with the placenta, but I'd say she didn't have a midwife or anything. It was just her and her friends. Um, so like, I'd say if they waited, they probably would have been fine, but they were like, oh, we don't know what to do in a while. So we did go into hospital, um, but it was just overnight stay and went back home again and everything was fine. Yeah, wow, cool. <laughs> so she kind of ignited want for me to have a home birth completely, you know, because I was like, well, if she could do it with no one, <laughs> why can't I do it with a home midwife? But in Sligo, uh, they don't, there isn't any with the HSE. So you do have to go private. So you've kind of got the expense side of things there, which is, it's a real shame that they don't have the services here. It is. I think there's only 12 or um, 13 of them and they're and they're they're really stretched. Yeah, I know. And I actually I worked as a nurse and I wanted to to do midwifery and I wanted to become a home midwife, but then I was like there's a reason why they why it's so limited because people feel stretched and stressed and overworked and so much resp- so much more responsibility as well, which is, you know, I was like maybe I won't go into that. <laughs> Not now and not in Ireland. <laughs> so let's chat about your first pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, when you're younger and you just think you just get pregnant, you just have sex and you get pregnant and that's it. <laughs> and that's what they tell you in school and sex ed. And yeah. You talk to your friends. And I know it's different when you're a lot younger, like teenagers probably do get pregnant easier. <laughs> but like, I didn't think I was that old to be not be able to get pregnant if you get me it took us seven months um but I was working as a nurse then and I was on nights a lot and I do think that definitely impacted um us getting pregnant for sure um but anyway we we finally did get pregnant and you know timing is like timing is what it is you know when things happen you think oh I wish it happened earlier or I wish it happened a different time but you just have to kind of go with when it happens, if you get me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of things can 
different if we got pregnant earlier than that and everything else so timing was what it was and <laughs> um, but we were both kind of thinking oh my god there's something wrong with one of us because it's taken so long uh, and I was like tracking ovulation and temperature and like keeping an eye on everything um but anyway so we did get pregnant in the end um and and did you feel that you were of, did you have any symptoms that you were pregnant or or, or how did you find out uh, so because we were so closely tracking everything, um, we were like waiting for me to miss my period. Um, so like I think I, I was at work and it was the weekend and obviously working on a gynae ward, there was like accessibility to pregnancy tests. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I refrained because I wanted to do it with Ross. Like a lot of my colleagues and everything had definitely done them before on the ward. Um, but I was like, no, okay, I have to do it with Ross because it's, you know, we've waited for so long and it's special and everything. Um, so yeah, so I kind of, I had this like grand idea that I wouldn't tell Ross until Christmas, which in hindsight was ridiculous. And I don't know why I thought it. I was like, oh, that'd be really nice. Like Christmas morning, I'll be like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Eight weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> when I got home from work, that would be like, impossible. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> but uh so anyway I instead waited one night and then went to the farm day and bought a pregnancy test and got them to gift wrap it and then I went back to him and got him to open it and I was like I didn't or I I, I didn't get my period um he unwrapped it and everything so then we we took it and it was like the faintest of a line and we were like what does this mean <laughs> so you go to google and you're like does a faint line mean yes and basically it does and we were like oh god but what if it's like not a good sign or something you know so when I did go back to work the next for the next like day I did take a few tests <laughs> in work yeah. and they all came back up you know uh, they all came back up with like a stronger line than the pregnancy test that we had done but like it was only the day after I'd missed my period so I was kind of like okay fair enough um so then we just kind of sat back and waited like we we told our families at Christmas because I was eight weeks and you know I don't know uh, we don't really have a problem with saying things early because if anything were to happen those are the people that you're going to be leaning on for support mm-hmm. you know um yeah. so we told everyone at Christmas and then we had our 12-week scan in Sligo and because of COVID and everything, Ross wasn't allowed to come up at all. Like not even when we ended up getting bad news, like they were, they were so strict at that time. Um, so it was, it was really difficult. And I suppose because I worked in the hospital now, I'd never met the stenographer before, but she, she, I, I'm sure she's like this with everyone, but I do think when you're a nurse, they kind of like, mind you, not, not better, but it's just that kind of like, um, what's the word? They just kind of see like eye to eye with you a bit or you see eye to eye with them maybe um but anyway I felt really safe with her and because I've never been pregnant before and like never really spoke to anyone about how 12 week scans go um I didn't really realize how long she was taken to to do the scan I must have been in there for like 40 minutes before mm-hmm. I kind of realized that she was looking into something do you know um and because she like I had a really full bladder so she was like oh go and empty your bladder and then I came back so between all that it kind of took you know quite a long time and then I was literally just crying the whole time because I couldn't believe there was actually someone in there (laughs) um I was just like 
there's we've actually made someone do you know it's just incredible um and I honestly didn't even it didn't even occur to me that she had been taking so many measurements because I was just so mesmerized by this little baby that was actually there um because I hadn't really had many symptoms um kind of tiredness and things like that um, so basically she was taking measurements of the extra fluid that she had found around Evie's neck and her tummy, which is a cystic hygroma, um, and the nu- nuchal translucency. Um, so her nuchal translucency was too big basically for the, the parameters. So she, she kind of explained everything to me that there's, there was like three possibilities that could have caused this. And the first one was, toxoplasmosis which you get from cat poo and we do have cats so she was like that might be a reason why um and then the other one is like an infection that you can get from being around a child that has scarlet fever or a slap cheek and okay. ross's niece had been sick but we weren't sure if he had slap cheek or if it was something else it turns out she didn't anyway um but we had seen her recently enough so we were like maybe it's that um and then obviously the third reason was a chromosomal condition um and so she kind of said like in Sligo they don't have fetal medicine so we were referred to Galway um and then they took a blood test on the day of the 12-week scan to see if it was the first two you know causes like the the toxoplasmosis or the other infection from slap cheek um so that was kind of that was that and the doctor came in and kind of explained everything to me and that was it sent us on our way we didn't go back to Sligo at all after that because everything was dealt with in Galway and Dublin but like I was completely shell-shocked um after seeing that we'd actually made someone and then being told all this and not knowing what it could be and you know was you know were we going to miscarry what was going to happen um and then having to go to Galway as well and so I just I just went down to the car and had the scan pictures like perfect scan pictures like beautiful side profile of this little tiny baby um and like having to first being like look we made someone to Ross (laughs) like there's someone in there but then having to relay all of that information that I had just received and like I know my nursing background let me understand a lot more of it which you know is really useful um and it has been throughout this whole journey that we've had with Evie um but at the same time it's just so much to take um, and you're yeah. trying to relay in a way that Ross can understand it, you know? And I don't know, I, it was just, it was so conflicting. It was so exciting and so kind of crushing at the same time. Um, and he, you know, he was completely, he, he was confused as much as I was. And, you know, just, I don't even remember the drive home. I think the two of us were just stunned, basically. Um, and then the, the whole thing kind of, with pregnancy because you have limited time to be pregnant everything moves so quickly so I can't remember what day that was I think it was a Thursday and then it was the following Monday that Galway called me saying oh you have a scan kind of in the next two days um so you know in any other health thing you're waiting around for months to hear back from the hospital or the the doctor or whatever but with pregnancy it's just you have to move quickly because things have to be done at a certain time so that was quite shocking as well um but we went down to Galway anyway and they did the scan and um they asked us did we want to do the harmony test for you know they test for all the kind of genetic uh, conditions with a blood test um that's 200 euro 
And then the other option was an amniocentesis, which is more detailed. Um, so we opted for the amnio, even though there's like a very, very small percentage of um, amniocentesis causing miscarriage. But because we were so uncertain about, you know, the viability of this pregnancy anyway, we just wanted to kind of know exactly what was going on. I think the harmony test tests for less things. So with the amnio, you get a you get a clearer picture basically. Um, so we did opt for that, and we had that at fifteen weeks. Again, Ross wasn't allowed in, so it was. It's not the nicest procedure. Like it is a big needle in your belly. Um, <laughs> it's pretty pretty rough. I wouldn't like to get it again. <laughs> and we actually heard back the results um, four days after having it. So that was quite quick again, you know, and like we had looked into kind of all of like, I knew about the chromosomal condition, but I didn't know much about them. Like I knew about Down syndrome and had kind of heard of other ones, but never really thought about what that would mean if, you know, your, your own child had one of those conditions. So you, you turn to Google, Google. <laughs> everyone does it. That was going to be and one of my yeah. questions. Yeah, in that space of time, are you that type of person who just takes out the phone and starts Googling to, yeah, I suppose, I don't know whether to to research it more or just to see, a lot of us just to see what the worst outcome would be, you know, that's, or what type of person are you? Yeah, I would be the type of person that would responsibly Google if there's such yeah, a thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, links that are, you know, actual health uh providing websites you know like I don't even know right now I can't even think of any right now but the the ones that are kind of you know that are like is factual information based on research mm. uh not yeah. just mums.net where it's a group of mums chatting about you know they're you know which is also great for different reasons but you kind of want the factual information and the statistics and things like that um yeah. So yeah, we had we had Googled like a few different like I suppose we Googled amniocentesis and Googled what they can kind of look for with that test. And um we had kind of thought, crap, <laughs> what if it's one of the ones where they basically tell you this is like incompatible with life? And I I have now spoken to people whose children have trisomy 18, have like deletion uh, chromosomal deletions that are so rare that they're like nearly the only person that has it and things like this and they you you just can't ever say this baby is going to die or this baby is going to live you can never ever say that because no one knows until they get here you know or if they do get here so I think we were just hoping that it was going to be trisomy 21 which is down syndrome because it's so common um even though a lot of miscarriages are directly related to trisomy 21 and a lot of other chromosomal conditions. Um, this one was kind of like your best hope in, in a weird way. Um, so we had discussed it. And when we got the phone call from the consultant in Galway, she said it was trisomy 21. And like the relief that the two of us felt was immense. Um, even though looking back, like I said, having spoken to parents of kids that have a chromosomal condition, there's no, you know, you shouldn't really be wishing for one over the other, but it was more because we thought she'd have a better chance at, at surviving, basically. Um, so, yeah, it was a weird one. And actually, I forgot to say, uh, the morning of our 12-week scan, we were having breakfast and we were just kind of casually chatting. And we were like, I, I just said to Ross, I was like, what if the baby has Down syndrome or something? And it like, it just 
it was just, you know, I don't know if people normally have that conversation or if it pops into people's heads. Um, and we had a really good chat about how excited we'd be and how, like, a lot of people kind of say special babies go to special parents. And I, I don't really know if I agree with that. But at the same time, I felt like me and Ross as people were very equipped equipped I don't know if that's a nice word to use but we felt like we'd be very good parents towards a child with Down syndrome and that was in our complete naivety we didn't know anything about Down syndrome I'd barely met anyone with Down syndrome you know um but we were both kind of excited about it and you know it ended up happening and it's it's crazy to think back on that conversation and think that it was something that we had like openly and positively talked about <clears throat> which is you know really nice <laughs> And so after the results we got back, it was kind of, it was like really intense because we had to go for so many scans. And and the main reason they kept scanning was uh, scanning us was to see if she still had a heartbeat. And looking back on that, I really wish we didn't go to as many of them as we did because it really took away from the pregnancy. Like my pregnancy was so easy. There was no, like I was tired and because I, I actually stopped working, I was working an agency and agency nursing so I could easily just walk away and like I said it was the height of COVID and everything and thankfully Ross is able to support both of us so we just decided that it would be better if I stopped working and focused on being pregnant (laughs) and this was before we found out anything about having a high-risk pregnancy or anything and so I had loads of time to sleep and you know I could eat what I wanted and I actually just had a really nice pregnancy Um, but it was really like a lot was taken away from it with the stress of the scans and living in Sligo. So Galway was like two and a half hours away. So it it was, it was just too much. It was just too many. And just to go down there to see if your baby's still alive, like I could feel her kicking, Mm. you know, I think it was, I can't remember how many weeks I was. I think it was 16 weeks when I first felt her. So I was like, I know she's alive in there. (laughs) Like if anything happens, if I feel her stop moving, surely we can just go to Sligo and they're going to check anyway, you know? And then if we have to go to Galway, we have to go to Galway. That's fine. Um, but I think it was more for... Rana, what, how did you look after yourself from like a, a, a mental point of view? I'm sure like, were there a lot of sleepless nights? You know, if you're, if you're being told that you have to go for these scans so consistently to make sure that your baby is alive, how do you relax into the pregnancy or did you at all? I have had... I've had a lot of things happen to me in my life that have geared me up to be okay with things not going to plan, you know, negative things happening. Um, And I think I've just developed really good coping mechanisms to be able to, to manage with things. Like I feel like pretty much anything could be thrown at me and of course I'm going to be upset. And of course I'm going to be conflicted and confused and upset, you know, like hugely like life isn't kind of going you know to plan but I do feel like I would be able to deal with pretty much anything that was thrown at me um and that's just through life experience and that's through learning coping mechanisms like I wasn't born like that I've had really terrible times in my life where I haven't coped very well but I think getting to this point um in my late late 20s I I feel equipped so I didn't have any sleepless nights and I tried to just enjoy the time when we weren't going to scans. Um, and like, I don't know, I, I think I kind of, I shut down a little bit so I can kind of internalize and figure myself out. And then I'm kind of back to myself again. Like I've often said to my friends, 
don't worry about me if I go quiet. It's not a bad sign. It's just me kind of dealing with things before I can talk about them or I can, you know, be my normal self again. Um, so, yeah, uh, I didn't. Yeah, I was able to deal with it quite well, I think, um, in between scans. And like on the day, it was different. You know, I, I probably was a bit of a mess on on certain days, especially on ones like the amniocentesis and things like that. Like that wasn't enjoyable. Um, so I wouldn't have been on my top form then, <laughs> which I think is pretty understandable. Yeah, of course. <laughs> So what did the final trimester like and what was the plan then for labor and birth? So, yeah, I mean, like I said about the home birth, when we found out I was pregnant, I looked into it and we talked about getting private midwives and everything else. And when it finally, you know, got to the point where we were like, okay, we have to deliver in a hospital. It has to be all the way. It has to be Dublin. Um, I was kind I was kind of relieved and it's not nothing against Sligo Hospital um but I just felt that I didn't really want to deliver in Sligo <laughs> I don't really have any direct reasons why um so the fact that we were delivering in Galway kind of um like that was the plan because that was where my consultant was um my fecal medicine obstetrician um but then so she was the one that scanned us and found that Evie had a heart defect so they don't have pediatric cardiology in Galway so we were referred to Bakum in Dublin. And that's where I think it was at like 19 or 20 weeks we had our first fetal echo. So that's a scan of the baby's heart while while still in utero. Um, so that was with Dr. Franklin and Dr. Lynch. And they felt that they were comfortable enough for us to, to deliver in Galway. I think they thought that it was easier for us because it was closer to home, even though Dublin was three hours, Galway enough, was two yeah. and a half. And plus we didn't know anyone. So it actually didn't really make sense. Um, so near the end, I can't remember how many weeks I was, we had a scan in Galway and we both just, this was kind of when Ross was allowed to come in after they had done the scans and things. Like they'd do the scan on me and then he'd be allowed to come in after. But we all just kind of decided that it might be better if we just deliver in Dublin because his family lived like 20 minutes away from the coom. And we just felt because Evie's heart defect was so severe, if she was born in Galway, there was no one that would be able to carry out an echo on her when she was born. Like we would have to go to Dublin anyway, yeah. you know, and she'd have to be stable to do that. Whereas if we delivered in the coom, Dr. Franklin comes down from Crumlin and does the echoes on new babies. So I think she had her echo at like four days old or something, you know, and she needed to stay in the NICU for 10 days. So that just, it just made sense. Um, and it was, it was sadly even Galway because we had, kind of built up such a rapport with them and a relationship because we'd been there so many times and every time we went they were just so amazed by Evie and the fact that she was growing and developing and like pregnancy was you know on my side straightforward and like nothing bad had happened you know so I think they were quite amazed and a little bit disappointed probably that they didn't get to see her when she was delivered <laughs> um, and I just remember the the nurse as well like the the manager that works there she's just she's so she's like your mommy nearly like she's just so caring and like so involved and like she'd email or call you you know to check in on you and things like that and even after Evie was born like she she was like if you get a chance could you send us some pictures you know things like that and it was, it was really nice um so yeah we made the decision to deliver in Dublin and <laughs> wanting a home birth and everything was like I kept saying it to them I was like you know I really wanted a home birth like this is the, the complete opposite of what I expected, like having so much intervention already. 
And like, I knew in the back of my mind, if I go for an induction, it's likely going to end in an emergency section. And I really don't want that. Like I would, I, I had discussed for weeks with Ross um, the pros and cons of just booking an elective C-section, you know, so everything was planned and there was no like panic or emergency or stress. Um, and it, <laughs> hindsight is a great thing. Um, I probably should have done that because Evie was born over the bankology, like the bankology weekend, um, like after, or sorry, before it. So um, doctor said she wanted to book me for an induction um, because there is limited research on babies with Down syndrome that the placenta starts to fail uh, late in the pregnancy. And I don't, like, I didn't believe it at the time. I'm sure there is, you know, there is research out there that says that, but like, with with frequent scans and you know they check the blood flow and things like that they should be able to pick up on that without you know booking an induction or saying you have to have a c-section um but I guess first pregnancy you just if anything goes wrong you don't want to be the one that you end up blaming and that's how I felt about it you know so when she said I want to book you for an induction she could see my hesitancy (laughs) and she knew how I felt about it she was. She said to me that she would rather book me before the bank holiday weekend than afterwards because we're waiting for too long then. So I ended up getting induced um, at 39 weeks plus two days. So nearly there, you know, like, and I, I do think Evie would have been late if, if we had let her. I don't think she would have been born before 40 weeks. <laughs> um, and like, she was a good weight and everything, but I just, I don't know, I just think that she wasn't ready yet. And I think there's definitely a strong connection between mind and body. So at five in the morning, on the morning of my induction, my waters broke themselves, <laughs> which was like, Ross was like, if you had been booked for the induction on Friday, that would have happened. He was like, yes. if you had been booked yeah, next week, it would have happened that day. <laughs> so that was five in the morning and we had to be in the hospital at half six anyway. So I was like, okay, carry on getting ready, you know, just... <laughs> go as to you know just com- continue sticking to the plan um but what ended up happening was I went to the ward and my waters were just trickling all day long no contractions and there was like two women in the three-bedded ward with me and like they'd been having you know their waters had been broken and they were all booked for inductions and um, they were having contractions and things like that. The lady beside me ended up going for an emergency C-section. So I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. She's after having an induction and I don't want that for me. Um, so they they didn't give me any, like they didn't give me the pessary or anything because my waters were still kind of trickling. But they said that after 24 hours, they'd have to start antibiotics because, you know, because there's a risk of infection when your waters have broken for that long. So uh, they started antibiotics that night. And then they said that I would have the Pitocin drip the next morning. So they moved me over to the labor ward. Um, I think it was at like half eight. And then Ross was allowed to come in at that point. And they started the Pitocin drip. Um, and <laughs> the midwife kept saying to me, have you felt any contractions yet? And I was like, if I'm perfectly honest, I feel like I need to fart. <laughs> I feel like I have trapped wind. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, is that contractions? I've never, you know, been through labor before. I have no idea. Uh, so she was like, okay, we're just going to turn it up a bit then. And like, you're on the CTG, like monitoring and stuff. Um, and she could kind of see that they were tracking up a little bit, but not enough probably. So they did turn up the, the drip. 
to whatever I can't even remember what what the the dosage is or anything not that it matters but um they they ramped it up anyway and I had been practicing hypnobirthing like through the whole pregnancy I'd been listening to loads of podcasts and actually your podcast as well um and hypnobirthing gentle birth app as well so like all of my walks and everything I was doing like loads of curb walking and like I was trying everything to avoid the induction so I was like out walking every morning and this was like last last summer it was like blistering heat every day it was ridiculous um but I just had my headphones in the whole time listening and practicing breathing and everything everything like that um so when she turned up the Pitocin um I did start getting contractions but I was able to breathe through them and I was doing fine. Um, and Ross then at one point asked her, like, what number does this, like, does the machine go up to? And she said whatever number it was. And like mine was like way higher than it um, or like not way higher than it, but like it kept hitting kind of the peak. And he was like, does that mean she's having like really strong contractions? And the midwife was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was just literally breathing in for four and out for more. Like That was my whole thing. I was just, you know, going with it. Um, and I then they had to break my waters even more because they weren't fully broken and there was hind waters and things like that. So anyway, that was and I wanted to avoid as much internal examinations as possible because they're not very beneficial if you're trying to practice hypnobirthing. You know, you don't want to get out of your zone. Um, but so I had a few had a few stern words with the doctors and things like that. And Ross was great. Like he he was well versed in what to say, like, and like what my wishes were and things like that, which was really nice. Um, so yeah. And then nothing was really happening. So like I wasn't dilated. I think I was like three centimeters or something on one of the exams and her heart rate had kind of started, started dipping on the CTG. So at like, I think it was three o'clock they came into me and they were looking at the, the CTG and the monitor and things like that. They did the internal exam and Ross had gone to get lunch um, because we were like, OK, you know, you might as well go now because like nothing is happening, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm not getting contractions or anything like that. So he had run down to Subway, which is across the road from the coom. So that I they came in anyway and they said, we're going to have to do a C-section because her heart rate is dropping. And I was like, grand, I expected this anyway. Like I'm not that disappointed because I, you know, I'd geared myself up for that happening if I if I did get an induction. Um, so I remember ringing Ross at seven minutes past three and Evie was born at 3.40. So that's how quickly things happen when, because mine was a category two um, C-section. So like there's a certain amount of time that they have to get the baby out. If, you know, if they call the C-section at a certain time, the baby has to be out by a certain time. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So it was all go. He legged it back up. You know, I was having jewelry pulled off me, signing consent, getting extra lines in, like putting someone was putting a gown on me, asking me loads of questions, going through the checklist and everything. It was hectic. Um, and then we were wheeled down to theatre and obviously Ross wasn't allowed in until they'd set me all up and everything. And I was bawling, crying. I really needed to pee. (laughs) And they were like, it's fine. You'll get a catheter soon. And I was like, no, I need to pee. (laughs) I really need to go. Like my bladder was bursting, but they didn't let me because they had to get on with the preparation for the surgery. Um, So yeah, it was, it was mayhem. And I just remember the anesthetic doctor, she was quite young and she was just, she was fully focused on me. And it was really nice. And I just was like, okay, ignore everything else that's going on and just focus on this woman who's in front of me. Like she's telling me what's going to happen. She's trying to keep me calm. She's explaining the medication that they'll use and all this kind of stuff. So I, I really just focused on her and tried to like block out everything else. And hypnobirth and breathing had gone out the window at this point. I was still having contractions and stuff, but there was just so much going on that I was just like, yeah, yeah. So then they had me all set up and everything and Ross was allowed to come in then. And like I had wanted like um, wait for white with the cord clamping and everything. But apparently they apparently they only do that when like they they let the the cord stop pulsing. Uh, They don't wait for white. And it's just really confusing to me because you'd think that like leaving the placenta on would be beneficial to a baby that's going to end up in the NICU. Um, and needing you know all these things done to her but they they apparently stopped until like waited until it stopped pulsing and then cut the cord but like I have no idea if that happened um so anyway she was born and like she cried she was pink like if you didn't know anything was wrong with her you'd just think cool this is this is a baby <laughs> which it was um but then of course she she kind of deteriorated a little bit after birth so she was taken straight away like I I got a look at her and that was it um they took her away to the side and she had to have breathing support for a few minutes. But then she she kind of like recovered again and she pinked up again and Ross was allowed to go over to her. And then it was probably like 
I don't know, five or 10 minutes while they were stitching me up that they were able to bring her over to me. Like they didn't let me do skin to skin. They didn't let me hold her. And it was just literally her little face next to my face. Um, And then we got a few pictures and then she was whisked away. Uh, So that was, you know, probably the hardest thing I've ever experienced because with this baby for nine months and suddenly they're gone after the first time you lay eyes on them. So that's really, that was really difficult. Um, And then I was brought back to the ward and it it took such a long time because I was moved from the original room to a different room and then I was moved to a different ward altogether. They they tend to put women that have had babies that end up in the NICU on a ward where there aren't other babies. So that usually is the ward that there's kind of miscarriages and things like that on. So it's it's very conflicting again. But luckily for me, I had MRSA back when I was a student in college. So, so that allowed me to get a single room <laughs> until they did three consecutive days of swabs <laughs> did you know that handy. would come in handy <laughs> <laughs> I know yeah I have a bug in my nose that gets me a, a single room <laughs> which I didn't still have because it was like 2011 that I had had it but they're very strict so great <laughs> um so yeah she was born at 340 and then it wasn't until so then there was like handover of shift and everything like that so it wasn't until about half 12 or one that night that I actually got to meet her down in the NICU um so hours later and Ross luckily had been down um and he texted me saying is it okay if I hold her because the nurse was like oh maybe mom doesn't want you to and I was like of course I want you to get your top off get skin to skin Mm. (laughs) get in there and hold her um and then like it's just it's so ridiculous like looking back on pictures everyone has gowns on like Ross had a gown like a plastic gown and a mask on to meet his baby for the first time and do skin to skin and she's wrapped in a blanket and I was like this is not what I envisioned whatsoever do you know it's really difficult um and she did need supplemental oxygen um but they were able to like bring that with her do you know it wasn't like having skin to skin on Ross would have affected anything you know that they were doing for her so it was a pity really um and then when I got down to her later on, it was like half one or, or one o'clock in the morning. I like I've held a few babies before, but not many. So I was like, and not that small either. She was six, seven. Um, so when they handed her to me, I was like, I don't know what to do with you. <laughs> you know, it's just so and it was such an unusual delivery as well. It like, doesn't go to how you imagine it would. Um so yeah, it was, a, it was a strange experience and they just kind of leave you. They just go off and do other things with the, with the other babies, which is lovely. You know, you want to have time alone. Um, and how did you feel physically? I was an absolute zombie. Um, I found, I think because it was an emergency C-section, it's quite a lot rougher than if it was an elective. Um, and like I was on pain medication and things like that, but I was just like, I look back on pictures and I'm, I'm like just such a drawn out colour and I'm exhausted and it was yeah I was pretty rough <laughs> and I was wrecked as well um because of the excitement yeah. and buzz and the fear you you can't really sleep or anything you can't really rest so um yeah I was I was pretty much a zombie <laughs> um but yeah so then like I have inverted nipples as well so this was kind of like I'd met the lactation consultant beforehand and I'd been expressing colostrum from 37 weeks so I had a good supply for her um already but with breastfeeding then I I was completely out of my depth and there was no support there you know in the middle of the night so I just kind of like rested her next to my boob and she rooted she was looking for it and I was like this is amazing but I don't know if I'm meant to do this or not I don't know like if you start actually 
if you latch, like, is it going to be bad for you? Or, you know, there was no one to really ask. So I just let her nuzzle. And that was, you know, it was really nice for the two of us. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I did pump for her. Um, I actually stopped when she was about just coming up on six months old. Um, so I pumped for six months and she breastfed on and off like every now and again. But with her heart defect, it's her kind of stamina is very low. So she wasn't really able to like have effective feeds. Um, so, yeah, I just I said I'd keep pumping, you know, um, and pumping is hard work. Yeah, it is hard work. And it's not what again, it's not what you imagine breastfeeding baby is like, like it's still breastfeeding, but you don't have that physical connection, you know? Um, and I think that was one of the hardest parts for me because I was so, so adamant that I would breastfeed this baby, like regardless of her Down syndrome, regardless of her heart defect. And some people do, some people, you know, get lucky and their baby can, you know, breastfeed on and off. Um, and I did, I got a few really lovely breastfeeds with her. So I do, I really cherish them, you know? Um, but yeah, pumping is hard work. And it's like for the first few weeks, it's every four hours. So you're literally like up in the night pumping, feeding, you know, it's, it's, it's hectic. It's really intense. What did the early few weeks after Evie's birth look like for you all? So she was in the NICU for 10 days and they diagnosed her with transient leukemia. So that's basically what it is what it, you know, it's a, it is what it says on the tin. Um, it's a type of leukemia that can go away and it can come back. Um, and it can also develop into childhood leukemia later on down the line. And it's a lot more common in kids with Down syndrome. Um, so they had to do daily bloods on her. And that's kind of what held her. Like her oxygen uh, dependency kind of, you know, she didn't really need oxygen after a few days. Um, so it was the, the transient leukemia that kept her there. But then after a while, I was like, I don't think we still need to be here. <laughs> like, she's doing really well. Like, we're we're doing everything for her. She was taking bottles. Um, she had been NG fed for the first three days, but we we got the NG tube taken out, and she was taking her, you know, her required feeds. Um, so we did. We ended up leaving after ten days, and we kind of briefly went back to Ross's parents' house, so that obviously they could meet her. Um, and okay. his sister and niece were there as well so that was really nice but we kind of just wanted to get back on the road we were living in my mum's house temporarily before buying this house so we got back on the road to Leitrim and brought her home um to her temporary home and I suppose like looking back I'm just kind of like we we totally were when they say it's a newborn bubble you completely are just in a bubble and like nothing else matters you don't have to worry about anything else no one's going to bother you because they know you've just had a baby <laughs> So it's just a really, really lovely time. Um, and like, it doesn't matter when you sleep. It doesn't matter when you eat, you know, things just get done. And you kind of, you really want to hold on to that. Um, and you can kind of feel it slipping away after a while. You're like, oh, they're not classified as a newborn after eight weeks, you know? <laughs> so you're, you're. Yeah, I remember Googling. Um, I remember feeling that slipping away and Googling, going, when are they not a newborn? When can I still call my baby a newborn? Like, who cares? You can call it a newborn whenever. You know, but I remember being really conscious of saying that oh, I have a newborn at home. Yeah. <laughs> or like even even after that, when you're not allowed to anymore, <laughs> just being like, oh, I have a very new baby. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I guess for us, it was a bit different because we did have appointments coming up. Like it wasn't just kind of those eight weeks were untouched. Um, we had audiology and we had uh, pediatrics and we had cardiology back in Dublin. Um, so it was, 
I suppose a little bit different, even though we have no reference, you know, we don't, we have never had babies before. So like to us, this is kind of normal. <laughs> um, and I just remember my phone just constantly ringing being like, is this the, mo- the parent of Evie? Well, she was Gadsby then, but she's worth now, but is this the parent of Evie Gadsby? And I'm like, I just feel like a secretary. <laughs> I really yeah. did. There was yeah. just so much um but it like they were fine you know nothing was that daunting like she had to have blood draws and things like that and you know that's never nice but I mean she was very good she you know she never really put up much of a fuss and they were always very good in peds in Sligo they would make sure to put me in a room while we were waiting instead of in the waiting room with the rest of the kids um just because she was so she was so small and vulnerable um Mm. so yeah it was a bit it was it was a bubble, but at the same time, we were still, you know, very busy with her health and things like that. And how did you feel bringing her home? I suppose with your nursing background, you felt a little bit more comfortable than anyone else would have. And I suppose Ross felt that was a great support to have. So it was brilliant to have. But how did you feel bringing her home apart from, I suppose, having that under your belt? Yeah, I think I think because we had anticipated her for so long and you know, we, we didn't know what way she'd be when she was born. I think we were, we were just so like, like nearly animalistic in like, just give us our baby. We want to go home and like protect her, her, you know, keep her safe. Um, the nursing definitely gave me a vantage point, I think. Um, even though sometimes the more, you know, the more, you know, kind of the more you don't want to know. Um, but I, I do think that Ross felt, you know, hugely supported with that knowledge. Like he's, he said to me the other day, if I wasn't a nurse or if I wasn't here, um, he, he said he'd be ringing the hospital every day being like, is this OK? Like, who, who like, what do I do now? Do you know, like he yeah. and that's that's yeah. not just having a baby. That is all of the medical side of things as well. Um, so. So, yeah, with the nursing background and also Evie went into heart failure around six weeks old, which is kind of what her cardiologist said would happen. Um, so she struggled with her bottles she you know she was tiring really quickly like the breastfeeding wasn't going you know very well and you could tell that her work of breathing had increased so I suppose those were the signs that I was able to pick up on really quickly and we did organize a booked admission for her to have an NG tube inserted and she was also started on some medication to offload fluid so I think I was on high alert looking out for those signs um and I, mm. I I think with the nursing background, it probably made it, you know, clearer to me that that she was going into heart failure. Um, so we we did go back to, down to Crumlin for four nights um, as a planned admission when she was six weeks old. So again, out of the the bubble. <laughs> but um, yeah, but yeah, no, it was definitely the best decision that we made because she just her weight was static. You know, she was struggling really bad. Like we would spend 24 hours trying to feed her, trying to get to go to sleep so she'd have energy to feed again you know it wasn't just kind of you know again not having a baby before I don't don't really know the difference but you could tell that we were struggling and that she was struggling um so yeah that was that was kind of handy to have (laughs) the nursing and how do you look after each other because it's hard having a newborn but a newborn who has additional medical needs must be like incredibly stressful yeah definitely and I do again like I was saying about my own coping mechanisms I think Ross is kind of the same um he's also had a few things in his life that's happened and you know he's 
he is a different person than he used to be. And we're very good. I think we're very similar and we complement each other for mm-hmm. sure. Um, we're very good at like we we talk about every single thing. There isn't a stone left unturned, you know, and anything can be said like we have very open conversations about previous relationships and, you know, hopes and dreams and regrets and all sorts of things. And it's nothing is ever an issue. So like if if either of us are struggling, either the other person will pick it up straight away um, or we're, we'll just happily talk yeah. about it, you know, so. So, yeah, I think we do. We just have that kind of relationship. So will we move on to your next pregnancy? And so Evie ended up in hospital at Christmas and it was unexpected for us. Um, We went down thinking that she was doing okay, just expected to go down to her cardiology and, you know, the regular things would happen. But she ended up having a common cold. It's also known as rhinovirus. Um, So her oxygen levels were really low. She was drowsy. Like her cardiologist was like, no, we have to admit her. So she ended up in ICU. We didn't think she was going to survive. They didn't think she was going to survive. It was all very kind of, you know, saying goodbye to your baby. Um, And at kind of our lowest point, because we were staying in the parents' accommodation and it was coming up to Christmas and New Year, um, at our pretty much our lowest point, we found out that we were pregnant and it was, (laughs) it was like parallel emotions like we were unbelievably devastated because Evie was so sick but we were you know overjoyed because we we had this secret that no one else knew about and it was just it kind of just kept us warm nearly um and it just kept us going and like we we kind of said we're not religious and we're not really spiritual or anything but we did think that Evie had sent this baby to us um because she you know we didn't know what was going to happen with her uh so that was around new year and then we she you know she obviously recovered she she's doing surprisingly well um I think she surprised a lot of people so when we came home in January like we had thought a lot about the pregnancy when Evie was in hospital because again we you know it was also uncertain and it was keeping us going but when we got home we were so busy and Evie's schedule and you know her medical needs were so much more uh we didn't really have time to think about the new baby uh we had nicknamed the baby bear and like every now and again we'd be like oh yeah bear <laughs> um and it, w- it was nice because again it would just kind of keep us warm whenever we kind of felt down and so we had loads of people come to the house there's the Jack and Jill nurses there's the coordinator there was palliative care that was the our new GP from this area um so we told a few of them do you know and it was it was early on I think I was I was eight weeks pregnant when we told our GP because she had come to the house to see Evie and I was kind of saying to her I had had a little bit of spotting but I had also had that with Evie when I was around six weeks so it didn't really concern me it wasn't very heavy I didn't have any cramps I you know I didn't really think anything of it um and I was kind of saying to her I was like I don't want to have an early scan but I kind of do just to just to you know just to be sure and I suppose I have had spotting so like they you know they would take me in for a scan so I went to her the following week and had my bloods done. And she said she'd been thinking about us since we, since she met us and thinking she wouldn't know what to do. She wouldn't know whether to like go with ignorance is bliss and, you know, carry on and wait for the 12 week scan or if she would 
you know, go for the early scan. So chatted to her again and we decided that I would have the early scan. Um, but what happened then the following week, they forgot to ring me from the earliest, the early pregnancy assessment unit, um, which was fine. I mean, that happens, you know, human error, but it ended up being 10 weeks, the, you know, 10 weeks pregnant that we ended up having the scan. So it was two weeks after I'd spoken to the doctor and I was like, oh, will we bother going? Because like by the time we have this, you know, it's only two weeks until the 12 week scan anyway so um we end because we had to organize the jack and jill nurse to look after evie so anyway we did that and you know we went it was ross's birthday so we went out for breakfast in the morning um and then went up to the hospital and went in and had the scan and it was weird because again i wasn't like i wasn't i wasn't buzzing like i was the first time you know with evie because it was a second pregnancy and we have so much more stuff going on And when she did the scan, she had to do an internal one because, you know, I was early and everything. Um, And there was just an empty sack on the screen. And when I looked at it, I was like, we're not pregnant. But when she told us, I didn't believe her at the same time, if you get me. (laughs) It was really, it was a strange, strange um, conflicting emotions that I had because I I still felt pregnant and I did continue to feel pregnant for the next two weeks. but well, yeah, when she said it, I was kind of like, I don't believe her, but I can see that, it, you know, there's nothing in, in there. But when she told the two of us, we both separately had the feeling and the thought that because this baby wasn't there anymore, it meant that Evie was going to be OK. Um, and because I said it to Ross straight after and he said he thought exactly the same thing. So in a way, again, it was giving us comfort this baby that wasn't there anymore do you know um but they basically said that the baby had stopped growing at around seven weeks that was the measurement of the pregnancy sack so yeah (laughs) so that happened and we kind of sat around for a while to talk to a doctor and he went through you know the options like you can have medication or you can have surgery or you can pick conservative management was which is wait and see so we picked that we we didn't want to rush anything you know I again wasn't having any signs of miscarriage um and they call this type of miscarriage missed miscarriage uh when you don't have any symptoms or anything so we decided to go home um and wait and then they scanned us every kind of 10 days just to you know just to see if anything was different and I did have one woman reach out to me on Instagram and she said I'm not trying to give you false hope or anything I just want to tell you my story and her little boy is two now but she had had a scan with him when she was seven weeks um another one when she was 10 and then another one later on I think at 11 weeks they all showed an empty sack and uh, she was told it was a miscarriage but she wanted to wait and at 14 weeks they saw her baby um, and that was her son which like I mean that is so uncommon and it's so lucky for her and it's amazing that she waited Um, and like it didn't it didn't get my hopes up but it was just so lovely to hear that story Um, but I suppose in the back of your mind you're like maybe maybe you know Oh, maybe course. they've missed it. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, you know, at the back of your uterus and they, did, they didn't see it. Uh, and because I still had symptoms of pregnancy, I was really nauseous. I was wrecked. I was, you know, having weird food. Well, not weird food cravings for me because I eat pickles anyway, but I was like eating pickles in the morning, <laughs> you know, before breakfast. Um, 
And it's hard because when you're pregnant, you're waiting for those symptoms and sometimes you don't have them. But then like similar to me, when I had a mis- miscarriage around 10 weeks as well, I I had symptoms and I was like, but there's no baby there. It was really, really hard to to process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we 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 had I think we had two scans after that. They had to cancel my my which was meant to be my last scan because there was something happened with one of the sonographers' families and they rescheduled it. So that was meant to be on the Monday and then they rescheduled it to the Friday. And I had started kind of lightly spotting on the Sunday and my symptoms had kind of gone in the last few days. So I thought, okay, this is going to happen. So I did start lightly spotting on the Sunday and then Monday it was a little bit heavier with a few cramps. And I kind of thought I'm definitely going to be up in the night with, you know, with bleeding and cramps. Um, so yeah, I ended up having a full night's sleep, which was lovely. And then Tuesday morning, it was like probably TMI, but it was like a massacre and ended up, you know, escalating. I had started kind of heavy bleeding at nine. And then by 11, we were like, oh, like we should definitely, you know, start thinking about heading in to the hospital. Um, my mom was meant to come over and see us that day, but I thought, do you know what? The stress of her coming to the house, seeing me like this, bringing me into hospital. I didn't even know how I wasn't just going to destroy the car either. So we rang an ambulance. We just kind of thought it would be the best thing to do. Like there wasn't really a way that Ross and Evie could come with me and it would be too stressful. She needed to be fed, you know. So we we went the dramatic route. (laughs) Um, And anyway, the paramedics came and things kind of just snowballed from there. And like I used to work on the gynae ward, so it was actually really nice. like some people would think, oh God, I'd hate for my colleagues to be looking after me in a situation like that. But I actually found it so comforting. Um, I couldn't imagine having gone through that with strangers. Um, and I know like yeah, yeah. nurses disposition, you know, they're caring people and everything. So you never really feel like it's a stranger, but I don't know, it just, it helped me so much. Um, and there was a, there was four of them that I would have been, you know, quite close with in work and they just took me completely under their wing and I felt so safe and even through times when my blood pressure was in my boots and I could feel every bit of it and I literally just like it was like a tap it was so bad um and I just yeah they just made me feel so safe and even when I was I mean I was bawling crying and it wasn't I I did have a procedure a gynae procedure before and I do have PTSD or trauma or whatever you want to call it from that so internal exams and speculums and things do freak me out and even for smears and stuff I have to really gear myself up for it so I mean that's why I was crying it wasn't you know I wasn't crying because of miscarriage or anything it was literally just the the trauma side of things um so yeah the the decision was made anyway to go to surgery um and I just remember the consultant as well she came in when I was in the theatre uh, in the operating room and she just took my hand she's from Scotland she has such a lovely accent and it's really you know kind of lyrical nearly and I just remember her talking to me and I was squeezing the bejesus out of her hand <laughs> um, and she was like just imagine you're on your holidays and you're waiting for your cocktail to be brought down to you and there's like a breeze on your face and you know when you're kind of I don't know if you've had a general anesthetic but you're going off to sleep and you're just yeah. thinking about that and you're like oh this is lovely <laughs> But the last thing I thought when I before I got knocked out was, what if I don't wake up? What's Ross going to do with Evie? And like, it's such a ridiculous thought. But at the same time, you know, very rare chances you're going to not wake up after a general anaesthetic. But it really did 
just crossed my mind. Um, and then obviously I woke up after the procedure and I, you know, that thought wasn't there anymore because I'd woken up, but I just felt this complete peace over me now that everything was over. Um, because I, because we had waited for three weeks, you know, it was constantly in the back of my mind and we didn't know what way it was going to go. So I suppose waking up after the, the procedure, I was like, okay, I can have closure now. Um, you know, the bits are gone. Like there wasn't a, I, I don't, every miscarriage is different and every woman is different, but I think the fact that there wasn't a fetus definitely helped. Like bear wasn't there anymore. And we knew that. Um, so the bits that I lost that day were, you know, placental tissue and other blood and bits. <laughs> um, there wasn't actually a fetus and we didn't have to see that if you get me. And I mean, I'm not going to talk for anyone else and that's only my experience, but I do think it made it a bit easier for us. Um, and thankfully then I was allowed to go that e- go home that evening. And one of my friends works as an OT in the same hospital so she she kept me company for the whole entire evening and we laughed and she's great because she's a brilliant distraction like she's goofy and she's silly but you can also have you know a deep and meaningful with her as well um and we haven't really seen each other that much because you know Evie's you know very vulnerable so we don't really have people over to the house and stuff so it was like it was like a little girlfriend date for me <laughs> in the strangest circumstances Um, and she ended up bringing me home then as well Um, and I did just as a symbol ask if I could have the kind of it was it was like I don't even know if there was any tissue or anything left from the stuff that I had passed earlier in the day whether it was just blood clots but symbolism you know I just wanted to bring it home Um, and then the next day me and Ross went and bought a cherry blossom tree and some little flowers and it was really stormy on the Tuesday, the day that I had the surgery. The next day was really peaceful and calm and the sun was shining and the evening was beautiful and the sunset was like really dramatic. And I was like, all right. <laughs> um, so we planted the cherry tree and put the the pieces that, you know, had that I had lost the day before uh, with the tree. And I had been to a prenatal yoga class even though I knew I was miscarrying um I think it was like two weeks beforehand and it wasn't until I was halfway there I was like oh this is this is a pregnancy yoga class um and I'd forgotten I just thought it was you know a yoga class I'd booked but then I was like of course it's a pregnancy yoga class uh but I decided to go anyway and it was really nice like there was only I think it was five four or five other people there and like I didn't you know no one asked I didn't have to tell anyone if I was you know, pregnant or not. Well, I was technically still. Um, but it was just really healing for me in a weird way. And the other women were quite pregnant as well. And I thought, oh God, what if I get really upset, you know, seeing their bellies, but I didn't. Um, and at the end, the instructor had laid out roses and she said to take two at the end, one is for you and one is for your baby. Um, so I had these two roses and I'd kept them and they like they had dried already the petals had dried so we put them in the ground as well under the tree I know yeah (laughs) and here's us not religious or spiritual (laughs) but no I think it's just really important and I like having somewhere that we can go that I know bear isn't there but it you know the the he the symbol of him is there so and yeah so that's that's just outside although I was like please let this tree live (laughs) that's the worry when you plant something 
I know. We have Eva's placenta in in a in the back garden under a tree. <laughs> and I'm just like, if the tree, if something happens to the tree, I will just go spare. Like it's in a pot because at least I can move it around or I can try salvage it if something happens to it. And she was like, you need to feed your tree. Even if it doesn't blossom this year, I'll go. I know, it's mad. <laughs> it's more pressure. Mm. But no, it's, it is a really nice, um, a really nice symbol. <laughs> and actually just while we're talking about placentas, what you mentioned to me last night is that you got yours encapsulated. Yeah. So what? tell me about yeah, that. Um, I, I would be, you know, on the kind of hippy dippy side of things, given my upbringing. <laughs> so we, I had looked into it I, because I follow so many birth pages on Instagram and like they all talk about the same kind of things, you know, like wait for white and, you know, mm-hmm. hypnobirthing and all these techniques and things and placenta encapsulation is one of them. Although some pages I follow, they like literally tear off chunks and put it in a smoothie and I'm like whoa okay I'm vegan so that's a bit much for me (laughs) um happy to eat it but just not like that (laughs) so I found a woman down in Dublin and I had looked into it a bit too late so she said she didn't have any openings but she got back to me the following week and said that she had had I don't know a cancellation or you know maybe the baby had come earlier <laughs> I don't know but she had an opening so I booked in with her and now it is expensive I think it was like I think it was 250 for the package I got you can get different packages as well like there's a whole business you know there's a whole thing that you can you can choose what you get but I picked kind of the basic one and I said it to Ross I was like how do you feel about us spending 250 euro on me to eat our placenta? <laughs> and he was literally just like, okay, <laughs> that's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of like, um, like, yeah, obviously it has to be um, kind of a, a snappy enough thing when the baby is born. So he had a job. He So she posted out the pack and it was like an ice bag, and two Ziploc bags and then like the instructions. Um, so we had to bring all that with the hospital to us or with us. And then there was a form as well that we had to sign in the hospital to say that we, I think you must have done the same thing if you took your placenta home. Um, you have to. I had Eva at home, oh. so we just threw it in the freezer. Oh, <laughs> I love that. It took me so long to be able to part with it. It took me months before I could let it go. I just used to love looking at it. <laughs> I love that that's brilliant (laughs) they're fascinating like they're they shouldn't just be thrown away Brana I knew from reading your blog post the other night that I would love listening to you speak and I certainly did so thanks a million perfect thanks so much (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this week's episode if you'd like to share your story you're more than welcome to just pop over to the website ireland'sbirthstories.ie which I will tag in the show notes and pop your details into the share your story tab and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Chat to you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. 
flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.